A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 9, starting at verse 19b. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage and for all of the truth that we find in it. We pray that you would help us as we examine what happened so long ago and understand how it applies to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you just felt like no one was believing in you? Perhaps you felt rejected. Perhaps you felt like you were completely on the outside. Uh, it may have been that you had serious doubts about your own abilities and that there was no way that you could measure up. Basically, basically, I'm talking about a very low point in your life. And then in the midst of that, was there ever someone who came alongside you? Someone who advocated for you? Perhaps they came and they provided some encouragement, that they walked the path with you. They may even have opened up opportunities for you, given you the position that you were hoping for, but you just didn't think that you would ever achieve. Have you ever had that kind of person in your life? When I think about this kind of thing, I think about an experience that happened to me while I was in seminary. And many people don't realize, but uh, just before my final year of my Master of Divinity degree at seminary, I had actually decided that I was going to give up on ministry. I wasn't intending to continue on in pastoral ministry. In my first, first two years, I had encountered a, uh, a model of leadership that just didn't fit with who I was as a person and as a Christian. 
And so I just assumed that I didn't have what it took to be a pastor. But I wanted to finish my degree because that's what I do. And so my intention was I was going to do my final placement for my MDiv in a non-church setting just to get the degree finished with. And then I was going to continue on working at a warehouse uh, doing the job that I was doing there and just to continue on in that and not seek uh, a career as a pastor. So I had really made my mind up that I didn't have what it took and I was going to go in that direction. However, in the summer before that last year, I got a phone call. In fact, the phone call took place at the warehouse where I was working. And it was one of my professors from seminary who also happened to have been a pastor of a Baptist church. And so he called me to ask if I would consider applying for a youth pastor position at his church. And I wasn't sure what to make of that. It was kind of a, an awkward moment because I'd already decided I was giving up on pastoral ministry. I'd given up on the ministry and here I was being asked to apply for a job as a pastor. And so since I really liked that professor, I thought, well, why not? I'll go and I'll, I'll uh, go and uh, apply and uh, go for the interview and, and see what happens. Well, it ended up that they hired me. And so my plan to give up on ministry was foiled and I found myself in my first paid pastoral position. And that was a life-changing moment for me that this uh, professor and pastor believed in me and wanted to give me an opportunity. In fact, uh, it ended up it was at that church that I was ordained and it was uh, that pastor who preached at my ordination service, even though he had retired from pastoring by the time I was ordained. And so having that person coming alongside and advocating for me, even though he didn't know that I had planned to give up my ministry, that made such a difference in my life. Well, when we look at the idea of an advocate, of someone coming alongside and believing in someone, one of the best examples that we have is from Acts 9 and the experience of Saul and Barnabas. And that's what we're going to take a look at in this service. So last time we looked at how Saul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus and it was a life-changing experience. Everything changed for Saul. He already had a belief in God and he already had a value to the scriptures, but by meeting Jesus, everything now came through a Jesus lens. And so this really did change Saul's life. And so even though uh, we found in that passage before that Jesus was calling Saul to be the apostle to the Gentiles, that he was going to have a ministry that would focus on the Gentiles, when Saul began his ministry, he began with the people he knew. He began with the Jews. And for Saul, the Jews weren't those people. They were his people. This is who he was. He was trained as a Pharisee. He grew up as a Jew, and these were his people. And so he would go into the synagogues, and he would preach Jesus, and he would do it with great zeal, although thankfully this time without violence. 
And so that's what Saul did. And this caused some major problems for Saul. The people did not appreciate what he had to say as they came into their synagogues and proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. And he got into a lot of trouble because of this. This was a major thing to happen to Saul that he would do this because he was really cutting himself off from his previous community. And community is important today, but in the ancient world, it was even more important. You had to belong to a community. Uh, they didn't have government supports. They didn't have social agencies. You had to rely on the community that you belonged to. And so community was everything. And the Jewish community was Saul's community. But now he is finding himself outside of that community. He has burned bridges by uh, the message of Jesus that he is proclaiming. And so you might think, well, that's no big deal. Uh, if he can't be a part of the Jewish community, why not just be a part of the Christian community? It makes total sense, except for the fact that many of those Christians were not quite sure about Saul. They knew what he had done. He knew the violence that he had been involved in, the persecution that he was a part of. How did they really know that Saul was being serious? What if this was a trick? What if this was all an elaborate plan to get to the top leaders of the Christian church and bring them uh, to a place of persecution? And we might think, well, come on, people, just have some faith. Jesus can change anyone. Uh, you should just believe in Saul. But before we're too harsh on those disciples who weren't quite sure about Saul, I, I want you to imagine what it would be like if someone came into our church and we found out that this was a former member of ISIS who had been involved in persecuting Christians, killing Christians in the Middle East, and that person was claiming now to be a Christian and they wanted to come to our congregation and sit in the pew right beside you. Would you be 100% comfortable? Would you just say, oh, hey, this is wonderful. This is so glad that you're here. Yeah, come on over to our house for, for lunch. We're just going to have a great old time. Or would you at least have some doubt that this person was being serious about this? I, I think it's pretty natural that they would ask that question. So they, they were concerned. And so uh, it was looking kind of bad for Saul. Uh, he's cut himself off from the Jewish community. There's no promise that he's going to be a part of the Christian community. But here enters Barnabas. Now, Barnabas isn't even his actual name. His real name is Joseph, but he is known as Barnabas. Barnabas is his nickname and the name means son of encouragement. He is an encourager and he lives up to his nickname. He is the kind of person who does encourage. And so he comes alongside Saul and brings Saul to the apostles and says, listen, this person really has met Jesus. We know that he has done some, some terrible things in the past, but he has encountered Jesus in a powerful way. He is a believer and he is a solid preacher who is proclaiming the word of God, who is sharing the gospel. He is evangelizing. He is doing all of these great things. We need to welcome him in. 
Now, Barnabas has taken a risk here. He's taken a couple of risks. One is a personal risk because he doesn't know if Saul is serious. And by uh, coming along Saul like this, he might be making himself a target. Uh, he's also putting the leadership at risk. He might be bringing Saul in here, setting up the top leadership for the Christian church. Because remember, even though many of the people, many of the Christians had scattered during the earlier persecution, many of the apostles and other leaders were still in Jerusalem. And he could be putting them in a dangerous position. So he's taking a risk by doing this. But he does it. And we find that indeed that Saul was being serious and Saul is uh, welcomed in. Now, uh, we have to also acknowledge that uh, even though Barnabas did this, Barnabas believed in Saul and he did what he needed to do to, to bring Saul into the church. There were some people in the Jerusalem church who never fully accepted Saul. And this was especially true once Saul turned his attention on the Gentiles and began to fully welcome the Gentiles without them converting to Judaism. That really got on the bad side of some of the uh, Christians in the Jerusalem church. But Barnabas couldn't control their reactions. He couldn't uh, force them to respond in a certain way. But Barnabas could choose how he would respond, and he chose to respond by coming alongside Saul and advocating for him in the presence of the apostles. Now, uh, what I'd love to tell you then is that once uh, Barnabas uh, brought Saul into the church, uh, that was a time when the, the doors went wide open, and never again would people have doubts about someone, never again would they limit access to people into the, the full life of the church, that everything was wide open from now on. But I can't tell you that. In fact, that's not even true in the book of Acts. Still, the church will continue throughout Acts to uh, allow certain people to have full access. There'll be doubts about certain kind of people being a part of the church. And of course, that has continued long after Acts. There have been many times where limitations have been put upon people within the church. And so uh, we need to address these things. They're one of the topics that has been uh, coming up a lot in, the, in recent years is the concept of privilege. And a lot of people don't want to talk about privilege. They, they see a whole political agenda behind that. But really, the idea of privilege is pretty straightforward. And the idea of privilege is that there are certain people, which are often uh, white, straight males with uh, financial uh, ability, uh, that those people will usually not encounter obstacles based on any of those characteristics. No one's going to say, well, you know, we don't think it's appropriate for a man to do that, or uh, we don't let white people do this kind of thing, or, or so on, or or you're a little bit too rich to be able to uh, have uh, that kind of responsibility. Uh, those kind of things usually don't happen, whereas other people may encounter barriers based on their characteristics, based upon who they are at. Now, the, the reason why some people push back on this is they think that that makes any white male to be a bad person. If you accept the idea that there's privilege, then you're saying all white 
males are terrible people. And that is not the case at all. It is simply acknowledging that people such as myself don't uh, encounter obstacles based on these circumstances. We doesn't mean that life always comes easy. It doesn't mean uh, everything uh, comes our way and it's all prosperity, but it's not because of these characteristics. And there are other characteristics of people who do encounter obstacles because of that. And so we have to acknowledge that this is a, a part of what's going on. When we look at the, the history of the church, you'll find that very often, who is it who has the most influence in the church, who has the most access to power, very often is just going to, at least in, in North America and in Europe, is going to be white men. That is the, the case. And so we are becoming more sensitive to that. That is not necessarily the way it's supposed to be. And there has been pushback against that trend and changes have been made. And we really have made a lot of changes over the years. Even if you think about our particular congregation, things look a lot different. For example, uh, women uh, have been ordained in this church for quite a number of years. In fact, the very first time I ever stepped into this building was for an ordination council for a woman in this congregation uh, who was uh, being examined. So that's the first time I ever stepped into this building. And so we have this, this long history of doing that. However, at some point before then, it wasn't being done. In fact, there probably was a, a time in this church, and I'm almost sure of it, that people in this church, including the leadership, would not have been in favor of ordaining women. At some point, someone or some people had to advocate for the women who felt called into ministry and had to face a, a church culture that didn't necessarily approve of that call. There was a need or advocacy. Another change that has happened is in this church, we have a lot of people in leadership, in different positions, whether on staff or, or other board positions, who are people from other nations and people of color. And we take that for granted. When we look at the people who are active in the ministry of this church, we expect to see people of color. But at some point in our history, everybody was white. Uh, not only the, the leadership, but the people in the congregation, everybody was white. At some point, there was some advocacy that took place where uh, things were done, decisions were made to make sure that people of color had full access and had full opportunity to minister as they were called to. And these are uh, times that people had to step forward and to do what needed to be done. They needed to be a Barnabas, a son or daughter of encouragement who came alongside and fought for these needs. And so my question for all of us is, who are we advocating for today? Uh, we may not have to fight as hard. I'm not saying that the fight is over, but we might not have to fight as hard to include women or people of color but that doesn't mean that everyone has full access, that everyone has all of the same opportunities. There still may be prejudices. There still may be uh, concerns about certain kind of people. And I want to ask, who are we advocating for? Now, for myself, 
for very personal reasons, I have chosen to advocate for people with disabilities. And I have seen that there are many people who uh, have disabilities who do not uh, have full access, who are not always able to be a part of leadership or to be uh, have public roles of ministry. And so I have taken it upon myself, I really feel called by God to advocate for people with disabilities. But for you, maybe it is someone else. Maybe it is uh, you feel uh, led to advocate for people struggling with mental illness, or perhaps you're uh, feeling led to struggle uh, to advocate for people who are struggling with poverty or with addictions, uh, people who may not have the full same access that you enjoy and you want to make sure that they are able to experience that as well. Now, what does it look like? In practical terms, how do you advocate for someone who is on the outside? And I'll give an example, and I will give an example for my own life, uh, not because I am the perfect example of advocacy, but just I know my life uh, the best. And so I can share what has happened in, in our ministry. I was at a previous church and there was a young man in our congregation who came out as gay. And this was a real struggle. And unfortunately, uh, there were a number of the other young people at that church, the people who had been his friends, really rejected him. Not just that they disagreed with his lifestyle, but they actively bullied him. They were extremely rude. They would leave nasty messages for him, and they made it clear that he was not welcome in that church. And it was terrible to see something like that happening in a place of faith. And so the, the small little thing that uh, Amanda and I had chosen to do is that on Sunday mornings when we would see him, we would invite him to sit with our family. So he would sit with uh, myself and my wife and... Uh, uh, our son Logan, and uh, he would worship with us because we wanted to show people that the church was a place that was welcome for every single person. So that was just a simple way to advocate for him. Advocacy can look in many different ways. It can be just coming alongside someone and encouraging them, encouraging them to keep on trying, to not give up, to remind them that they matter, that they have value. Uh, but it can also be uh, fighting against injustice. It, it might be uh, responding to the, the structures that keep certain people uh, outside of, of uh, power, outside of opportunity. And so that is another way that we can advocate. What's important is that we recognize that not everyone has the full access that we enjoy. And we have to realize that there is a need for us to bring them into the inside. Thank God for Barnabas. And I mean it, literally, thank God for Barnabas. That was probably something that Saul thought, thank God for Barnabas, because Saul uh, found himself on the outside, and yet Barnabas believed in him and advocated for him and brought him to the apostles. And because of that, Saul was able to do so many great things. We still need... Barnabases. We need sons and daughters of encouragement, people who are willing to advocate for those who are on the margins. We have already moved so far, and yet there's always room for us to move farther. 
Not everyone feels as welcome as perhaps you do. And there are things that we can do. We can be a Barnabas. And so I just want to ask you again, who are you advocating for in this church? Let us pray. God, we thank you for Barnabas. We thank you that he believed in Saul, even though he was putting himself at risk, even though uh, he had every reason to reject Saul, he advocated for him. Lord, we pray that you would help us as individuals and as a congregation to advocate for the marginalized, that we would do everything in our power to make people feel welcome and included. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.